Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Serie A fan. It's goals galore this week as we summarise two action-packed rounds of games and continue our top four speculation. And at the other end of the table, we rate Benevento's survival hopes and preview the other relegation run-ins. All that plus a last-minute entry in the Galliardini Challenge and Atlanta's Texan tuxedos in this episode of Scudetto. Hello and welcome to Scudetto, your weekly roundup of top five Italian football. It's been a very exciting week. 72 goals in 20 Serie A fixtures we last spoke to you, which is an average of 3.6 goals per game. And I checked this out. I was surprised, a little bit surprised that it's not that much higher than the average this season, which is uh, 3.08 per match. So it's a little bit higher, but, but not as much as I might have expected. Uh, don't let anyone tell you it's a boring league. Anyway, we'll be talking about some of those goals and the sort of associated narrative shortly. But first, let's catch up with the squad. And Baz, we'll start with you. And I know we usually like sort of joke around in this section, but just on a serious note, there's been a bit of sort of scary news coming out of your part of the world this week. Uh, So can you just sort of reassure our listeners that you and your family are safe and well? Fortunately, we are safe, if not a little shook up. Um, you guys will see I'm not recording in our usual location because I had to turn my office into a makeshift bomb shelter. And I think that just about says all that needs to be said right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, glad to hear that you're all right. And I guess there probably hasn't been much time for you to uh, think of a funny story for us this week, but you can maybe tell us tell us what you're drinking. After your reaction last week, I'm going to refrain from any funny stories for a while. But I'm having a <laughs> Clockwork Tangerine Session IPA from BrewDog. Never had it before. We'll see what it's like. Good. It's good. I like them. Quite nice. I think that was the one that sort of set us off on our um, trend of fruity beers in the first place, wasn't it, Kenny? Yeah. It was either that or one of the other BrewDog ones. If ever there was a time to drink a strong beer, it's now. And yet I've picked a 4.5%. So go figure. <laughs> Indeed. Um, anyway, Kenny, how are things on your end? How are you getting on? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Um, I'm getting my the first dose of my COVID nineteen vaccine this weekend, so that will be that will be good. Um, or I mean, <laughs> would it be good? It'd be a bit painful, probably. It's it's encouraging an encouraging development. Yeah. So yeah. I'm pleased about that. Uh, I've I have made a horrific mistake on the beer front though. Um, you were talking about fruity beers early on, and uh, with that theme, I have picked myself up a Barney's beer, and I I had a Barney's beer a week ago, and it was very good. So this is this is on me because I picked up a, a Gosa, and it's a cranberry margarita sour fruit pale. It describes itself as, and I could safely say after a couple of sips that this isn't. This isn't one for me. <laughs> it's a hashtag not for everyone, as the intermarketing team would tell you. 
Yeah, sorry, sorry to hear that. I've made similar mistakes on this podcast in the past, so uh, you have my sympathy. I've actually picked up uh, an Erdinger Weiss beer, a bit of a classic, but um, the pubs have kind of reopened here. They shut pretty early, I think like 6 p.m. or something, but it's been quite sunny, 20 degrees today in Helsinki. I walked past a little bar and there were a couple of guys sitting outside drinking big pints of Weiss beer and it um, tempted me to go and buy a bottle for myself. So not particularly uh, interesting one, but very tasty nonetheless. Anyway, that's enough about us and our beers. Buzz, we're going to start off with you this week because Milan have found some form, I think it would be fair to say. Obviously beating top four rivals Juve 3-0 in that game and then battering Torino 7-0 yesterday. What are the highlights from those games, Buzz? I can see you kind of rubbing your hands with glee at the prospect of talking about Milan playing well again. I honestly considered having my entire contribution for this episode just uh, extended the uh mix of Eddie Murphy laughing because <laughs> that's how I felt all week um, I mean uh, the win against Torino was the score was ridiculous but I think we kind of expected uh, Milan to get a result and I get, we'll get on to that later but the match against Juventus was a very tense affair and to come out of it on top and uh, especially having scored three goals which uh, nullifies uh, Juventus's 3-1 win in the first leg was a great way to uh, finish the weekend, let's say. And overall, um, Milan seemed to have found a little bit of that form that we'd been mentioning in recent weeks that had gone missing, possibly because uh, the likes of uh, Benacer and Zlatan were back from injury, although Zlatan was not on the field for about nine of the ten goals that Milan scored in, in this past week. So I don't know if his influence... Uh, was necessarily felt. But either way, a great uh, week for Rossoneri fans, and uh, this mathematically means that, if I'm not mistaken, Milan need just one more win from the next two games to uh, mathematically uh, guarantee qualification for the Champions League, which was the ultimate goal for this week, for this season. Yeah, I'm always forgetting that Serie A goes straight to the, the head-to-head. Um, was obviously thinking after that Serena game, oh, it's great for their goal difference, could make the difference if it comes to a run-in. But obviously, as you say, the 3-0 against Juve actually much more influential for that because it, it puts them puts them ahead on the direct comparison. And it's interesting you mentioned goal difference because uh, I haven't checked the table uh, after these last two rounds of games. But before that, uh, Milan's uh, goal difference was notably lower than both Napoli and Juve. So if it had come down to that, Milan would have been in a lesser position, let's say. Yeah, I don't, there's no way it can actually come down to goal difference with any of the teams surrounding them, is there? At this point, no, but it had, uh, assuming Juventus had scored had one goal. Or, yeah. yeah, exactly. Anyway, we need to talk about what this means for the kind of bigger picture and the top four race. My prediction that Juve are going to miss out looking better and better by the week. Um, but Baz, are you now confident that Milan are going to make the top four? I wouldn't say I'm 100% confident, but this is partly a little bit of, um, let's say, I don't want to jinx it. But uh, I think uh, definitely a win against Cagliari at home should be manageable. I think given the recent results, the last two results, uh, I think there is no reason to think that uh, Milan shouldn't win that. And then it's uh, what could have been sort of a playoff between Atalanta and Milan. I think in recent years, Atlanta have proven a very hard team for Milan to beat. And of course, they won the first leg and kind of 
that was the beginning of Milan's uh, slow uh, downfall from potential Scudetto candidates to a team that's um, battling to get the Champions League spot. So I think uh, it would be best for Milan to get this over and done with by this weekend. Yeah. Uh, and Kenny, how do you see this top four race now? It, it, Milan looked pretty nailed on. It's really going to be between Napoli and Juve, isn't it? Yes, that that that's very much what what I expect. So Atalanta, this is the thing: it's it's unlikely that Milan are gonna drop drop points at the weekend. It's unlikely that Atalanta are gonna drop points at the the weekend. But uh, I don't know. It's possible that one of them might. Um, certainly, it's looking very, 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 very tough for Juve. The one thing that I would say is that I looking looking what Inter have done in the last two games. Now that the sort of uh, they've got the the monkey off the off their back and they've won the Scudetto. They've they've gone and scored more goals in their last two games than they had scored in the six games before that. And Juve might have beaten Sassuolo three one, but weren't entirely convincing in that game. Um, I mean, Gigi Buffon had to had to save a penalty, and by all accounts, um, in the first half, at least, Sassuolo were more than a match for, for Juve. I'm not convinced that Juve are really favourites to take anything off of that game against Inter. So it could even have nothing to do with um, how Milan-Atalanta do this, this week. Certainly, Milan-Atalanta... One game, one victory away from securing Champions League football. It looks like that is most likely going to happen. And if you look at what Napoli have been doing, I mentioned their Inter's uh, goal-scoring record in the last two games. Inter aren't even the top-scoring team in uh, Serie A over those two games because in second place uh, would be Napoli with nine goals and obviously Milan uh, with the, the ten that they've scored as well. Um, so yeah. Napoli, I just don't see how anyone can stop them at the moment. Now that they've got that full squad, they're just firing on all cylinders, and um, they've definitely got the the easier. They, they've had the easier run in, run in over the last few games than than Juve, but that continues right through to the end of the season. I think it's pretty much game over for Juve, but you never know in football. Yeah, I guess the one counterpoint to that is uh, if. Inter affected by the off-field antics that um, have been going on this week, which we will get to shortly, but certainly doesn't look good for Juve at the moment. Um, we should pick up on what you were just saying about Napoli and be a little bit more in-depth about that. Buzz, you were, you were telling me earlier that Gattuso's Napoli scores more than Sarri's. Interesting, interesting statistic there, obviously. This is again a stat I saw before this last round of games. I think Sarri's record was 88 goals in one season, 79 in another, and 91 or something like that. And uh, I believe Gattuso is very close to um, overtaking at least one of those records. So um, I, I reckon um, a lot of Napoli fans who maybe criticized Gattuso earlier in the season, as well as the president De Laurentiis, may end up um, regretting not having given the... Gennaro the support he deserved and uh, who knows maybe if there was slightly more stability at the club they might have had an even uh, stronger push yeah that they're on 83 goals at the moment so um, yeah looking like as you say they're, they're at least above average there uh, Kenny what do we think what's the latest is is there a chance that Gattuso's there next season there seem to be a lot of conflicting reports on this uh, I think if 
if you're De Laurentiis, you'd be absolutely crazy not to, to U-turn. But I think we, we all know the, the character that he is, so I wouldn't be at all surprised if he stuck by his guns. There have been reports saying basically Gattuso to Fiorentina is a done deal. There have been others saying that Gattuso would be willing to stay at Napoli. Um, which of those are more reliable? I don't know, but for me, if De Laurentiis has any sense... He offers Gattuso that contract extension. He swallows his pride and he offers him it. And harsh as it might be, and it might be a bit counterintuitive because of the uh, because of the sort of character that De Laurentiis is, and because of the conditions that Gattuso's had to work under. But nevertheless, I think what he's building, the opportunity to take that Napoli team into the Champions League, if that is in fact what happens. If I'm Gattuso, I would probably stick around to to take Napoli into into the Champions League as well. But we don't know. We don't know what is actually sort of signed, sealed, and delivered. It could be that it's too late for for um, for the Laurentiis. Uh, if you're a Napoli fan, you've got to be hoping not, and you've got to be hoping, like I said, that he swallows his pride and offers him that extension because they are. We talk a lot about Atalanta being so attractive uh, on on the eye, but I think at the moment, Napoli just look like they're scoring goals for fun. They're so fun to watch, and now that they're at full strength, seriously, this team, with a few reinforcements, with a, with a bit more squad depth, could potentially go on and do what Milan threatened to do this season and, cha- and uh, challenge for, for the title. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, from our perspective on this podcast, we would be great to see him back there. They've been a joy to follow this season. Um, we'll have to just sort of see what happens over the next couple of weeks. We should now go to the other end of the table and talk about the fight to escape relegation. Obviously, two out of three of the teams now decided, uh, Crotone and Parma, relegated. And it looks on paper, Kenny, like Benevento are in serious, serious trouble. Four points adrift with two games to play. Do we hold out any hope for them at this stage? I think normally you'd look at this on paper. You'd see that Benevento are four points behind with uh, two games left and you think they're as good as gone. Uh, that is until you realise that Benevento's next game actually is against Crotone, who, as we started recording, looked like they were picking up three points. But nonetheless, over the course of the the season you would expect uh, Benevento to to win that game. And if Benevento do win that game, the two teams above them, being Torino and Spezia, are are actually playing each other. So in the worst case scenario, so long as Benevento win that game, they will go into the last game of the season at most one point behind whichever side loses out of uh, the Spezia-Torino game. Uh, And if not, they'll be... Two points behind if, if that game ends in a in a draw. And furthermore, Torino obviously do still have to play again against Lazio, but uh, Benevento play against Torino in the last game. So I'm really, really not sure that this is um that this is all all done. And the other thing to point out is that uh the San Spezia game where uh Spezia I mean it was there was so much drama in that game, but there was um Potentially uh, a handball, I thought, for, for Samp's second. And Spezia missed an absolute sitter, which we'll come back to later on. And had you know had, th- had that gone differently and they'd managed to hold out as well after going 2-1 up, 
um, they would have been out of reach. But as things stand, that could prove really, really costly. So I think it's still absolutely fascinating at the bottom. Uh, I definitely don't think that Benevento are, are gone. Probably they're the most likely to go down um, on the basis of the, the points that they have to make up. But definitely not all, all done yet. Yeah, that game on the last weekend, Torino Benevento could be absolutely huge, couldn't it? We were saying earlier, I, I, I've kind of just got an idea that Torino are going to get something in that game against Lazio and uh, just yeah. surprise us all. That, that's normally the way football works, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I had um, a lot of confidence in Torino until I saw them in midweek and they seemed like they were <laughs> very slow to the ball. I, I want to say they were already on the beach, but they're far from uh, guaranteed safety, so I don't understand what happened. Maybe that 7-0 was the kind of kick up the backside that they needed. It was all a big plan from David and Nicola. <laughs> well, actually, there were some nice comments after this, strangely, after a 7-0 defeat. So Nicola said that he completely put his hands up and that it was all on him because he put too much emphasis on this game and he built the players up for it too much. Uh, and equally, I think Cairo was like, look, nothing, nothing's happened. We weren't favourites to win this game. Uh, the reason that we conceded so many is because we were 3-0 down and we decided to try and get ourselves back into the game and we got hit on, on the counter. And Nicola as well saying, look, this is something that is in the past and what we're going to do is go out at the weekend and try and prove that it was just a blip. So uh, all of the, the sounds that are coming out after a 7-0 defeat are as good as they possibly as they possibly could be. So we'll see what happens. And to add further weight to what you just said, I think uh, several of the goals in that match were kind of worldies or at the very least were would have been impossible to stop. So it's one of those games where everything went right for one team and everything went wrong for the other team, as can be uh, symbolized by the miss from their, no, I think I think it's their number three who was, found himself inexplicably in the area all by himself and hit, managed to hit it straight at Donnarumma. So uh, one of those days, I guess. Yeah, indeed. Well, we'll see how they get on against uh, Spezia the weekend. That should should be an interesting one. Last talking point, we should uh, just discuss briefly Inter, who have, as we've said, kind of been closing out the season like champions. Kind of, If anything, like you said, Kenny, they've been let off the leash a little bit now that the monkey's off the back, sort of free scoring. But we, we, we should discuss kind of off the pitch uh, complications with news today that the Inter staff and players have listened to a plea from the owner of uh, Stephen Zhang. Was it to give up two months worth of wages? That's both playing and non-playing staff. It doesn't look like any of the players have accepted that. It's, it's been kind of roundly refused, uh, which could have wider financial implications for the club. What do we make of this situation, Baz? Do we think it's going to do you think it's going to affect on the pitch performances for the rest of this season or will the ramifications be more like harshly felt next season? I think um, we've been speaking all season about uh, occurrences off the pitch that may affect Inter, but ultimately every match uh, Antonio Conte gets his team ready and they seem to uh, relish the adversity even. This particular scenario, I mean, I can't think of many other clubs that uh, despite not playing their uh, staff for two months, Still go on an incredible uh, 12 match unbeaten run and uh, start smashing goals in. So 
as usual, Inter is kind of a different beast to the to the other teams. However, um, whether this will affect next season is still a big question mark. You may remember John last week uh, saying that a lot of uh, what Conte is saying is a little bit of posturing, and that he'll be the, he'll be the manager next year. But I'm not 100 percent sure because the the finances in general in Italian football are not the greatest in this COVID era, and Inter in particular are. Um, in slight trouble. I mean, I think that's something that we'll keep an eye on. It's I I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent that Antonio Conte will be on that bench next year. Having said that, I I really hope he will be because that I will relish uh, Jose against uh, Antonio again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, a lot of the press reports seem to be suggesting that some of the higher earners would have to be sold as a result of this. I don't know how much that's kind of posturing in the press from the owners but um obviously Conte is among the higher owners but you think there must be a few in there that, that would be potentially up for sale the news transpiring today was that uh for example Kolarov who uh Conte wanted very strongly will not be renewed for next year and uh Vidal who hasn't barely featured since uh, the second half of the season I would I would wonder if he's going to stick around as well and he's obviously one of the high earners but there's a few, um, let's call them squad players as well, who are on decent salaries, and maybe it's time to um, cut off some dead wood. Yeah, fair enough. Um, before we move on from Inter, did you want to mention the ultras situation? Yeah, I wanted. To, first of all, I wanted to mention uh, Pinamonti getting his first ever goal for Inter. He's a very highly rated youngster, and um, he's the he was effectively he's the the strike the fourth striker after Sanchez, Lautaro, and. Uh, Lukaku, it's quite a big deal for him, but also it could have a potential ramification for Italy in the future if his skills are as good as football managers suggest. But there was this uh, weird um, scenario in um, on the weekend. Inter asked for a special dispensation to have a Scudetto party with about 3,000 fans present. And um, the local municipality allowed this to go ahead. And part of the deal was that... Um, a section of the ultras would be policing this event. So, uh, I mean, this is just more of this uh, weird uh, circus of a country that is Italy with, um, yeah, fans policing themselves. And part of the reaction is, well, if they're not going to listen to themselves, who will they listen to? But at the same time, I mean, I can't think of many other uh, serious uh, uh, organizations that just give, give the power off to someone else when there's a big uh, event to handle. Curious, curious strategy for sure. Anyway, just to quickly round up the action from elsewhere, we've had a lot of goals, obviously, this week, as mentioned, but maybe some of them felt like uh, they weren't taken quite as seriously as the occasion demanded, perhaps a, a feel of, of training games around a few of them, not pointing to any one team or player in particular. But we should just give you a quick update on the Galliadini Challenge. For any new listeners who are not aware of the Galliardini Challenge, named after Roberto Galliardini of Inter, who missed an open goal in spectacular fashion at the end of last season. We've been waiting for one to beat it. Uh, we've got another contender this week in Spezia 2, Sampdoria 2, Farias. I mean, you need to see it to believe it, really. It's two on one with the goalkeeper, played through to him, takes a touch, probably has... A full two seconds, I'd say, Kenny, oh. in front of the open goal. And that, that's that's the beauty of this, is the length of time that he has. And basically every single step of what he does is 
the wrong decision. So, first of all, I mean, <laughs> you you say don't wait for the ball, go to the ball, go to the, that's like what what you coach five year olds, go to the ball. He waits for the ball. Okay, maybe he's got so much time that that's fine. And then the ball comes to him, and you think hit it first time, and he's like, no, I'm going to take a touch. <laughs> okay, take a touch. Take a touch with with your instep of your your left foot. He takes his touch with the with the outside of his right foot, a heavy touch that's like too heavy. And then you're like, okay, well now finish it off with your left foot. And he tries to wrap his right foot around it and hits the post. And this, while all of this is going on, like you said, there's an open goal. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It gets to the point where when he finally hits the post, when he finally takes the shot that hits the post from about two yards out, actually it doesn't look like that bad a miss because the keepers got back. But I mean... <laughs> I think yeah. possibly this is a, is a very, very late contender, but possibly this is the winner of the, the Gagliardini Challenge this season. Still got two yeah, rounds I'm to still go. personally still finding it hard to look past the Maguire miss. I'm so invested in Harry Maguire right now. <laughs> I, went to, I went to the bookie and I asked him how much to Harry Maguire to win the Gagliardini Challenge and I put a lot of money on it. <laughs> In case anyone's wondering, there has to be at least one Italian team involved in the fixture for it to qualify. We're a tiny player because we might need to bring it into the Euros. Yeah, no, I think I think it's going to be awarded at the end of the club season. Okay. But yeah, okay. Maybe we have a, a special one for the Euros and then do it again next season. We need to discuss this actually off air, but... After this last miss, can you describe it? Might change name to the Farias Challenge, so we'll see about that. Yeah, another good point. But we will be awarding it at the end of the, the regular season in two weeks' time. And then we'll decide where we take it from there. Uh, anyway, so we've already kind of spoken about some of the games of the weekend. Juve playing Inter, obviously. Roma could kind of end Lazio's top four hopes in the second edition this season of the Rome derby. And also that Spezia-Torino game, which we've already said is pivotal in the relegation fight. And in other news, it looks like the Tito could be forced to sell one of his clubs, but it's probably not going to be Lazio, is it? Most probably not. Uh, his other pet project, Salernitana, earned promotion over the weekend by beating Pescara 3-0 on the final day of Serie B. And uh, as both Salernitana and Lazio are owned by Lotito, as you mentioned, he has 30 days to sell one of the clubs. And uh, I'm not sure what if he was expecting to get promoted, but I think 30 days is not that long to find a buyer. So it's going to be interesting. And Salernitana and a 23-year absence from Serie A, so kind of a nice retro outfit to have back. Yeah, another one that we can we can look forward to the preview of in the, uh, the first episodes of our next season of Scudetto. Anyway, we should do good week, bad week. Uh, but as I think it would, it, it, it would be cruel to give it to any club other than Milan. Not sure if you've got any other nominations, Kenny, or if, if we can just award that one straight away. I mean, it's also been a very good week for Napoli with uh, Juve dropping out of things and them uh, going on a free-scoring spree. But who am I to to stop Milan from uh, from claiming this title this week? To be fair, the performance, particularly against Juventus, was uh, 10 stars. I, the, the only thing I've got to say is that fine, is kind of comical is that Pioli said... I've always said that it is impossible to play the perfect game, but by golly, we got close this time. <laughs> yeah, we won't uh, kill your joy there then, but we do have to have a discussion about bad week. I know, Baz, you'd probably like to give it to Juventus. 
I would love to give it to Parma, actually, because they've just uh, dropped to bottom of the table, but it seems like they're, uh, they've won a season ticket for this spot, so I'm happy to give it to someone else for a change. What do you think, Kenny? Bad week Juventus, bad week Parma, any other nominations? Yeah, well, you've had that good result against Sassuolo, but I don't think that kind of, uh, I think that's kind of papering over the cracks, really, isn't it? I think uh, they've got a very, very tough couple of games ahead of them. And yeah, I think it's Juve. Yeah, I mean, Serena also lost 7-0, but I'm happy to give it to Juve. <laughs> Juventus has had a bad week. Done. Okay, I think that's uh, that's it for this week for the main talking points. Just uh, a few honourable and dishonourable mentions, and we'll we'll wrap it up. Buzz, you want to kick us off? Yeah, I wanted to give a honourable mention to uh, Siniza Mihailovic. Um, his uh, daughter revealed to the world that she was pregnant this week, and um, she revealed it by a video of her kind of giving a little uh, envelope to uh, Siniza, who was kind of sitting on the on the couch in his living room and he's dressed in the shortest of shorts and his Bologna training kit. Clearly he didn't know this was going to be spread across the world, but essentially he pulls out and there's a little like a uh, baby shirt that says uh, like you're going to be a grandfather or something like that. And he breaks down in tears and it, it's the sweetest I've ever seen Sinisa Mihailovic in my life. So he can get an honorable mention for that. And while we're talking about um, Sinisa Mihailovic and uh, very young people, I have to give an honorable mention to Wisdom Ame, who came on in the loss against Sampdoria this week and um, became the youngest ever player to debut in Serie A. Obviously, Bologna aren't having the best of times, but at least they're making news elsewhere. Good news. Um, and I want to give an honourable uh, again to my boy, Antti Revic, um, as we discussed in, in that 7-0. Uh, he scored the fastest hat-trick in Serie A since the year 2000, which was scored by Andrei Shishenko. Um So not only can he kick a ball really hard, he can score a hat-trick really fast. Well done to him. He also set up two goals. Yeah, he looked a bit embarrassed when the last one went in. Yeah, perhaps um, not the greatest goal for the last one, but still a great achievement. Um, Kenny, a slightly less impressive achievement from Calderola and a dishonourable from you. Yeah, this is one of those dishonorables for being for being brainless. Um, I think we've had a, a few of them handed out, but Calderola got two bookings within this. We talked about the fastest hat trick in Serie A. Um, Calderola got two bookings within ninety seconds, uh, both of them for what I guess could only really be called assault on Zapata. Mm. Um, so Benevento were trailing two 0 already, bear, bearing in mind what we've said about them currently being in the middle of a relegation dogfight. You're 2-0 down with 10 minutes left. You went flying into the back of Zapata for the first one, which could potentially even have been a red card in its own right. Uh, got away with a yellow, and then 90 seconds later, just forearm smashed Zapata in the face. Just brainless, and uh, it's a stonewall dishonourable. Yeah, thanks for bringing that to our attention. Sounds absolutely ridiculous. And slightly, well, a much better record or a much better pair of records, which should get honourable mentions. Immobile hits his 150th Serie A goal in the same week that Ronaldo hits his 100th. Uh, so honourable mentions for both of them. Um, and switching gear a bit, uh, Boaz, you've got an honourable from Lecce's Mancozu. Yeah, Lecce captain uh, Mancozu revealed... Uh, last week that uh, he had undergone surgery to remove a tumor and that 
after missing four matches, I believe, he was back on the pitch. For a start, that's the incredible recovery time, but uh, some of his quotes were gen- genuinely heartwarming. He said, uh, I saw real fear in my in my family's eyes, something that I have never seen before, and all this for me. So it's great to see him back, and uh, hopefully he puts this behind him. Yeah, absolutely. Great, uh, great honourable. And Kenny, for your weekly goals honourable, <laughs> there are a lot of names on this list. Uh, can you? Uh... There have been a lot of great goals. There have been a lot of great goals. I'm going to fire. There have been a lot of goals. There have been a lot of goals. There have been a lot of great goals. And uh, just to please you, Oscar, I'm keeping it only to to midweek goals. So I've, uh, as has been the my habit in recent weeks, I have themed these. So I've got one touch delight for one touch football. And in that, uh, I hope you've got your your pencils ready to note these down because I'm going to fire through them. Uh, Raspadori for. Sassuolo against Juve, Dybala for Juve against Sassuolo, and Muriel uh, for Atalanta against Benevento. That one really more is for Maninovsky's uh, assist, to be honest. And then the other, the other one is for Absolute Rockets, and uh, here we've got Fabian Ruiz for Napoli against Udinese, Okaka for Udinese against Napoli, and Teo Hernandez with uh, Milan's first against Torino. Oh, thanks for that, Kenny. Not sure. Much appreciate you keeping it brief. Boaz, you want to give us an honourable for um, Maria Marotta. Maria Marotta became the first uh, female to ever officiate a Serie B game. And uh, her quotes post-game were amazing. She said, uh, while my experience is going to go into history, I don't, I don't want to be... In the future, I don't want this to be newsworthy. Yeah, very, uh, very sensible statement. Um, one that we definitely support on this podcast. Just to fill up our quota for dishonorables this week, uh, I've got one for the, the Cagliari-Fiorentina game, uh, which Opta tells us is the first match without a single shot on target in Serie A this season, which is terrible form. Um, Kenny, you wanted to give... It says here an honorable, but I assume it's a dishonorable to Lukaku for his party. Yeah, I'm a hmm. bit miserable this week, I guess. I've got three dishonorables in total. Uh, yes, Lukaku. I think we gave him an honorable for respecting uh, COVID guidelines yeah, and social Yeah, I did. I did last week. <laughs> well, this week we're just cancelling that out because Lukaku had a, a birthday party, apparently, in a hotel room uh, with a few members of the Inter team. And apparently, I think there was 24 people in total or perhaps 24 other people um, but the the police came at 3 a.m. and they're all kind of being fined for breaching COVID uh, regulations. So I think that has to, has to be a dishonorable. Don't want to see that. We're kind of getting to a point now where we're getting to the end of the season and where there are signs that this pandemic might relatively soon be behind us. And we don't need like people who are in the limelight basically setting these kind of examples. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think we did say last week, um, we, we gave a dishonourable to the Inter fans, uh, perhaps a, a bit unfair, considering that um, well, when we contrasted it to Lukaku's behaviour. Maybe mm. maybe that was misplaced. <laughs> um, anyway, Boaz, uh, sticking in the city of uh, Milan for a second, you've got one for uh, several Milan alumni, I think. I'm going to go through a little uh, nostalgic trip with you guys. Um, first of all, this today, actually, the day we're recording marks the official day when uh, Clarence Sedov, Alessandro Nesta, Pippo Inzaghi and Gennaro Gattuso 
played their last ever game in that uh, phenomenal AC Milan side. Uh, so emotional scenes. This was nine years ago. But perhaps more significantly for this podcast, uh, this week also marks the anniversary of uh, Parma's 3-0 victory against Marseille to win the UEFA Cup. This was a Parma side featuring some phenomenal players, the likes of Buffon, Turam, Cannavaro, Dino Baggio, Veron, Hernan Crespo and Enrico, Chie- Enrico Chiesa. So uh, what, what a fantastic side. And it's curious to say that um, that was the last Italian team to lift this trophy. So I think it's time for Italian clubs to start uh, competing in Europe again. Yeah, we've uh, been giving Parma a hard time recently, so good that they get an honourable mention well, there. Well, I, mean, I think this is actually more glaring. The the modern outfit are bottom of the table, whereas uh, just, 20, just over 20 years ago, they were almost on top of the world. Yeah, but for the fans, I mean, nice for them to have an honourable for their club. Anyway, Kenny, as you've said, you're a... Not in the best of moods this week. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> one more thing that has uh, caught your attention and riled you up this week. Yeah, well, this hasn't riled me up, but I don't, <laughs> I don't think we could let it go. It riled me up. I don't think we could let this go after spotting it, really. The, uh, Italian clubs have always travelled in style. They tend, to, they tend to travel in team suits. I don't know if that's still the case. But anyway, Atalanta, they must have some sort of an endorsement deal with uh, Replay Jeans. And they've been sharing photographs of, of them on on the pitch when they go on away matches, sporting Replay Jeans uh, bottoms and tops. Just so happens that they are also sharing photographs of Atalanta on things like aeroplanes. And perhaps it's not such a good idea, it's not such a good look to have like 25 men wearing blue denim shirts and blue denim jeans all together in an aeroplane because it kind of looks like they're being uh, transferred from minimum security to medium security prisons. Um, (laughs) It just has a touch of Shawshank Redemption about it. Yeah, exactly. As you said before, a Texan tuxedo. It's, uh, It's not the look that you want for professional football team really a definite definite dishonorable um and especially for an italian club yeah just uh, defying the cultural stereotype of being on the cutting edge of fashion anyway that is all we've got time for this week if you don't already please do subscribe to our podcast on apple Podcasts or spotify or wherever you get your audio we'll speak to you next week until then enjoy the football Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 